Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Today what I want to do is really just set, set the scene for this whole letter and the city and what Paul was doing and why he was writing to to the city of Corinth because often when you read the New Testament what you're really reading is just one side of the conversation if you hear someone on the phone like in a restaurant sometimes I'm I'm super naughty and I just like or nosy nosy and naughty I'm both but anyway you know I want to listen like oh they're talking about something interesting and I pretend I'm listening to music but turn it off and like put my headphones on that's interesting stuff but you only get one side of the conversation right and sometimes reading the New Testament is a bit like that. And to get the full picture, you need to know the other side of the conversation. What was Paul writing to? Who was he writing to and, and why? So what I really want to do is kind of set some of that scene, the, the context of who and what Paul was writing to, because I think that brings the letter alive and will hopefully just set some of the context for the letter that's going to come. Why Paul raises all of these issues that he does. So setting the scene Sunday. Paul, he was a strategic church planter. Paul didn't just go to the nearest town and think, okay, that's the next town. I'll go there and start a church. Paul was very deliberate in the way that he went about starting churches. And his normal strategy was to go to the the major cities of an area. So he would approach Ephesus or he would approach Athens. He would go to Rome. He would go to the major cultural centers, knowing that if he could get a gospel church started in that city, from that place with the cultural capital of that city, and if people got saved there, they would be traveling away from that place and the gospel would spread from there to the other parts of the region. So once a church was established in the major city, he would then move on. And what we know is Paul has just been in Athens, a major cultural centre, and now he has his eyes on Corinth and he travels down to Corinth, partly because of its cultural capital in the moment, and also because uh, the Emperor Claudius had kicked out a whole bunch of Jews from the city of Rome, and many of them had found their way to Corinth and had set up a new life there. And Paul, knowing that that would probably be the first place that he would get a hearing, As someone who had grown up in the Jewish community, he could go to the synagogue and open the scriptures and talk about Christ. He went to Corinth. And what we know about Corinth is that actually it was a city very much like London. That if you you were to live in Corinth in the first century, your experience would be quite similar to the experiences that you are having right now as a Londoner. For a few reasons, but let me lay lay out just four. Firstly, Corinth was a very wealthy city, very wealthy. In fact, one historian apparently comments on the nature of the croissants and the pastries. I know they didn't have croissants, but pastries. I'm trying to be relevant here. Apparently, the pastries in Corinth were to be sought after. So if you wanted to go for premium, you know, Ottolenghi or Gale's croissants, you went to Corinth. You didn't go to any. They had the place because they were known for their luxury. They were a port city and they kind of, Corinth acted a bit like Turkey does today, like between east and west, that kind of juncture point. And Corinth acted a, a bit like that. And trade would come through Corinth more often than not, because to go down the bottom side of Greece as a sailor meant a lot of difficulties, a lot of trouble, a lot of rocks and stuff you had to navigate. I'm not a sailor, but it was very dangerous from all I hear. And so rather than go right down the, the, the south side and the coast of, 
of Greece. What you could do is cut across where Corinth was, which is a four mile stretch from coast to coast, separating east from west. So what a lot of businesses and traders would do is they would sail their ship with all their cargo, all of their goods up to one side. They would literally unpack the whole ship and they created this road that would go the four mile stretch right across through the middle of Corinth and they would take all of their cargo and then they would literally drag the ships through this road, the four mile stretch across onto the other side of the sea to save them taking this perilous journey where lots of people would, would die. So literally it'd be like shopping in Oxford Street and coming out of Clark's and just seeing the ship being dragged through the middle of the city. I mean, not literally, but it was that kind of, but what it meant was one, there was lots of trade, lots of people with money who were coming and settling and staying around and trade begets trade so people began to gravitate towards and also the city charged tax for this so as ships would be being pulled back and forth there was a huge tax on being able to do this for safe travel and so the wealth of Corinth grew and grew and grew so first it was a very wealthy city just like London is today secondly Corinth was sex obsessed there were, Corinth is actually split. If you Google it, it's fascinating. It's split on kind of two levels. There's a lower part where the ships would get dragged back and forth and the city and most of the town would be. And there was an upper part where the temple to Aphrodite stood. And Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty and love, literally kind of stood over the city and was the protector goddess. She had two other smaller temples, but she had this one large temple and they were known as a city who was protected by beauty, looks and sex. And what apparently grew up around there was a, a whole uh, prostitution um, that happened around the temple with this idea that sex is sacred and therefore if you have sex in the presence of Aphrodite, there is some kind of offering that goes up. And so Corinth, and no offence to sailors, you know, had a lot of sailors coming and going. You had spare time, anonymous, money in their pocket. And you understand the kind of reputation that could emerge out of that place. So today, if we were to talk about someone, if they were promiscuous, back then you might call them a Corinthianizer. If someone called them a womanizer, no, no, they're, they're a Corinthianizer. If you were to be a Corinthian, that was not a, like, oh my goodness, she is such a Corinthian. That was not, that was not like a compliment. It had a reputation for being sex obsessed, which is why Paul deals with all of this stuff. How should we use the body? Why does it matter what we do with our physical self when we worship a God who is spirit, we're told? So it's sex obsessed. I don't have to talk to us about that, about London. Also, the city in Corinth had a huge celebrity culture. They loved to put people on a pedestal. They loved the glamour. They had the money for it. They had the luxury for it. They had the clothes, the cloth, everything like this. They had the beauty. They had the fashion. So they loved celebrity culture and having people that they could look up to. Back in their day, they didn't have, like stand-up comedy wasn't like particularly a thing. They loved philosophy and ideas and thinking about, I mean, it's hard for us to imagine, you know, Michael McIntyre doing an hour long lecture on philosophy and the nature of the world. But back in that, that day, if someone was a good orator and they were handsome, they were good looking, they dressed well, then they were put on this pedestal and they earned a lot of money. 
And so they love celebrities coming through the, and because they were Corinth, they had the cultural draw like, hey, people came to this city, they could earn money and they could get a hearing. So people came talking about their ideas and this celebrity culture that arose that permeated the church, which is a problem when the person who started the church was apparently very short, had crooked legs, a thick monobrow, I'm not making this up. And you're saying, we love celebrities, we love YouTube pastors. You're talking about this Pastor Paul who doesn't dress very well, he's got a monobrow, he needs to shave, crooked legs. Why should we listen to this guy? It was a problem. They were celebrity obsessed. And fourthly, they were a spiritual city. There were temples everywhere. I mean, we're amazed, like we drive around and you think, you know, I mean, we're in West London where all the sensible people live. <laughs> Just a bit of London banter. Sorry, everyone else. Anyway, we're, we're amazed, like the number of places, like, everywhere you drive, drive around, like there's like, Reiki healers, spiritual healers, small temples where people go for spiritual relate like spirituality is everywhere in our city sure it's not organized religion but there is this deep impulse within us that desires spiritual connection that doesn't connect to reason doesn't connect to rationale that we know there's something deeper than just rationale and reason and being smart with our brains there is something in us and london is pulsating with spiritual desire and passion which Corinth was as well. So you quickly see that Corinth and London, we're not so dissimilar. So imagine like saying, okay, Paul, your next, your next place to plant a church is, is Corinth. There's a major capital city. and th This is where you want to see a gospel. Can it be done? Like could building a church in a city like this be done? The worship's many gods and you're saying, no, there's only one God that says you can do anything you like with your body. In fact, the more you do with your body with more people, that's actually more and more pleasing to the goddess. And you come and say, no, actually, there's a chaste way to live. One man and one woman. How does that sexual ethic land in a city like Corinth or London? Or we say, no, here's your pastor. He's called Paul. I know he's shorter than you and he doesn't talk very well, but here's your pastor. No, no, forget the YouTube guy. He's your pastor. How, how can a church be planted in a city like this with ordinary people like us? Is it possible? Let me turn with you to Acts chapter 18. If you've got your Bible, maybe go there. It's going to come up on the screen. Let me just read Paul's first encounters with the city. You'll find out that it is possible to plant a church in a city like London, but it is also often quite difficult. And the two go together. So here we read this, Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and he went across to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was one of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. 
When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, so this was a clear strategy. We're going to meet in Corinth together as a team. We're going to start a church there. Paul was occupied with the word that is studying and teaching, proclaiming, persuading, answering questions, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. And get this, his house was next door to the synagogue. So you've got to like, just picture the moment. Like we're talking about a city, maybe historians think about max half a million people. So big city, but relative to their day. And in the centre of town, there was the synagogue. And Paul is kicked out of the synagogue, basically. He doesn't have a hearing anymore. He says, right, I'm going to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles, those who aren't Jewish. And so if I were him, I'd be like, I need to find another part of town because this is a bit awkward with the Jewish community around here now. I don't really want to pass them in the street. What, what does Paul do? He says, no, I'm going to hire the place right next door. It'd be like if we got kicked out of here, like, right, I'm going to hire Nando's. And on a Sunday morning, I'm going to set up something different. So you're going to walk past me and know that I'm still here. Paul had no issues with confrontation. He had quite a but in fact when you look at the, uh, the study the the, the letter the, the book of acts kind of conflict confrontation and gospel breakthrough often seem to go together taking the discussion to the city is often where breakthrough happens so paul doesn't back away well i'll be me i've got to be honest i've listened to paul like okay if you really want me to go i'll go back deep breath he goes right next door. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, hallelujah, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And what do we find after 18 months of Paul teaching, persuading, having difficult conversations with people? He can write this letter, maybe four years later, some people think, to the, the church where he says to the church of God that is in Corinth. Sometimes we can pass that and think, oh yeah, there's a church in Corinth. That's a miracle of God that a church was birthed in this city. And I wonder whether Paul reflecting on this thinks, I, the gospel, I've tested it with Jews and it has power. I've tested it with Gentiles and it has power. What we know is from this city, while he was teaching and preaching and trying to plant a church in Corinth, he wrote the letter to the Roman church. And in, one, in Romans 1, 16, he tells them, I would imagine reflecting on his experience of even in a city like Corinth, 
people can become Christians and say yes to Christ and live for him. He writes to the church and says, for I am not ashamed. Like I was tempted in Corinth to be ashamed because the, the wealth and the power and the prestige of this city. But I've seen the gospel at work and I am not ashamed for the gospel is the power of God for everyone who will believe first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles for from faith and to faith we are saved hallelujah he sees the power of God at work in this city says this is possible there is a problem though which is really why we have one Corinthians this church was started in the middle of this city we don't know how big the church was but they were meeting in a couple of people's homes we don't know how big the the culture of Corinth was overwhelming at points and what had happened is that the culture and the life of Corinth had began to invade the culture and the life of the church so that the church was beginning to reflect the city of Corinth more than it was reflecting the life and the nature of God and we know that temptation right for the like cultural waters of our day are so strong and so repetitious and so ongoing and wearing us down that we can take on cultural water into our thinking into our attitude into our behaviors because we hear it so often and we are in the middle of this cultural ocean that is constantly battering us with its waves of preaching of this is how to do life this is how to do sexuality this is what to believe in God that oftentimes we can take on that water and actually begin to reflect the culture of our city does anyone feel that temptation any Christians in the house yeah come back from like three weeks away from church and you've been deep in Netflix and food and presence you re-emerge you're like okay right church Bible God okay where were we again let's pick up anyone have that kind of feeling and experience you've taken on cultural water you're like oh that can happen and so what Paul is doing is is really charging us to reflect the life that we now live in because we all have this temptation in the cultural oceans that we are in to be relevant to those around us everyone feels this temptation the the push on our beliefs and our behaviors just maybe this needs modifying because there seems to be a loud voice over here who's saying this is right and to be honest sometimes in my heart I feel like that could be right as well but then there's the Bible over here and what God seems to say and I, I struggle to reconcile these things and there's conflict sometimes in our heart anyone feel that okay loud voices over here I feel things that don't seem to match up with the Bible but I want to be faithful to God and so we have this conflict between being faithful to God as is revealed in the scriptures and being socially acceptable and sometimes as Christians we make the mistake of thinking we can be faithful to God and socially acceptable at the same time without any conflict but I mean I, I know it because I deep down like 
I want to please people. Deep down, I'm not an awkward person. I don't, I, don't, I don't like awkward conversations. I don't want to be in awkward conflict kind of moments over coffee. I don't want to walk past people who I'm in conflict. Like, I feel like I want to be a nice guy. I want to like have friends. And... But the reality is, there is a point of conflict if we are to be faithful to scripture with our social context. And what Paul is doing is calling us to live within the life that we have been gifted in Christ Jesus, to live into the calling that we have been given as a church, to accept some conflict at some point with the culture that we are in. Because if we are always trying to stretch over and be socially acceptable at the same time as being faithful to God, we will find one that the social context is always changing. Like it's just a river that's running so fast underneath our feet. Like, every, okay, we've got to be relevant for 2023. Well, hang on. Like even some people who believe stuff in 2021 are now being criticized on social media because of what they, that's how fast. So like, uh, what culture are you relevant to? And it also said, well, no, to believe in God who is eternal from beginning to end, who has a gospel that is powerful to save everyone no matter where they come from, no matter their beliefs, no matter their behaviours, no matter their sexual orientation, to have a gospel that saves everyone, to say, no, we need to bend it somehow for our cultural context, actually denies the relevance of a God who is, who is, who is. He simply exists. We don't need to make Christianity relevant. The Bible, the gospel is relevant. Our relevance comes from being faithful to God and his scriptures. That's where the power of God begins to break through when we see the scriptures and love him and follow him with our whole heart. And so Paul is calling us into this life in God. So at least three times, let me just show you three kind of phrases where Paul is pulling the church back into their identity as God's people. Firstly, in verse two, he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Notice he doesn't say to the church of Corinth. Not like your role is just to reflect the life of the city that you're in. No, you are the church of God. You belong to him. You have been set apart for him. You are to reflect his life in the city. So while we live and fully engage in every aspect of city life, we actually are bound to God. Church, literally the word church in English comes from the Greek kurios that in oldie English they took the word kurios basically like just to belong to the Lord and turned that into a word that we have now just inherited and brought through just to say that every time we say Trinity Church London what we are doing is we are backing ourselves to that heritage that says we as a community we belong to a Lord who is called Jesus we don't belong ultimately to the city. We don't get dictated to or preached to by the city. We get dictated to by our Lord who loves us. We are the church of God in London. And then he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. To be sanctified is to be set apart for a special purpose. 
if you've got like a special suit that you know really comes out for or i've got a special pair of shoes where if i'm going on a nice date with toria like the special shoes come out like they're sanctified for a special purpose these shoes come out toria <laughs> sees the shoes oh it's a special night tonight no, no, no. i try and dress up a bit more often but you know there some things are set apart for a special purpose in the old testament there were tools that were made that was set apart for a special purpose to be dedicated solely to the glory of God, to be used only in the temple. They weren't to be used for common use. And Paul is reminding us that we are sanctified in Christ Jesus, that we are set apart from the city to display a different way of life and declare a different glory whose name is Jesus Christ. So even the habit of us gathering together there is a sense, a liturgical repetition where we go through this process of getting on buses and jumping in cars and getting on trains, even though they're delayed. We, and we gather together to remind ourselves we are set apart from the city. We are gathered for a special purpose, the glory of God. So church, you've been set apart, you've been sanctified. And then he says lastly, in this last phrase, he says, you are called to be saints. And this is not in the kind of Catholic sense that, you know, if you do a miracle, if you live a nice life, you may get sainthood at one point. That if you are actually in Christ Jesus, you yourself are a saint. You may not feel like a saint. You may not have acted like a saint yesterday. But by status, because of Christ Jesus and his death and resurrection, we stand as saints before God Almighty. So you could very well theologically with accuracy greet one another saint charles sounds good doesn't it saint mandy saint aaron we are saints i mean people might look at us weird i mean you might look at me weird if we start around but that's our status we are holy and to be set apart and sanctified and holy for god as his saints requires that we live within this identity as holy ones otherness stands out right you cannot be other and blend in at the same time that's why jesus says you're salt you are you are meant to be different you're not meant to just blend in and just hide amongst the culture you are meant to be salty you are meant to be a light there is meant to be something that is different about you so if you feel like you know in the workplace and with your friends there is some kind of connect like you're connecting well but there's this last little bit where you feel like we're just struggling why i don't feel like i'm quite on the that may not be as a christian anything to do with your fault you it may not be that you are doing something wrong it may simply be you are living a holy life sanctified life given over for a separate purpose so please don't beat yourself up as I did for years, wondering why I don't seem to connect all the time with those around me. Maybe because you are set apart for a different purpose. We love our friends, we bless them, we live, do life with them, but you're sanctified, amen? So we're gonna come across a, a number of issues, I think, that are gonna challenge us, provoke us, get us thinking. Paul tells us that he does all of this to love us. This is his heart as he writes in chapter four. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. 
For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There are many people out there who could tell you how to do life. Paul says, I want to father you in a way that will bring you into life. So there may be areas of our life as Christians that are yet to be converted. Areas of our thinking, areas of our attitude, areas of our behaviours. And my invitation to us is to come to this letter with a softer heart as possible. Not trusting in our emotions, not trusting in our thinking, but trusting that what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is for our good. And even if we can't see what happens on the other side of believing something, we trust the God who has given it to us, that he is good because he's died for us and our sins already. So we follow him. Let me say one last thing from this short introduction in the, the, the first few verses. Paul, Paul says this little phrase that he often does in verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says this phrase or some other phrase, some variant of this, every single time he writes a letter. And when you see Paul doing something time and time and time and time again, you, you've got to like pay attention. Okay, there's a reason why Paul is doing this. It's not just like, what sounds Christian? Grace to you guys. That sounds great. Okay, let me put that down. No, no. When Paul says something time and time again, he means something by it. And I, I once heard a pastor pointing something out to me that I had never seen before. He says that Paul always starts with grace to you and peace from God or grace to you or grace, peace and sometimes joy to you. But there is always a letter with grace to you. And at the very end of every single one of Paul's letters, to an nth degree, every letter, he closes at some point with and grace be with you. So he starts every letter by saying grace to you. And he closes every single letter by saying, and grace be with you. And this pastor was making the point that I think holds up that what Paul is trying to do is saying that the beginning of this letter is grace and the end of this letter is grace. And if you take these words away with you in your heart, it will be grace that will live in your life and you will experience the grace of God, which means that everything in between these two bookends is, guess what? The grace of God into our lives. So it's not Paul saying, hey, grace to you. I want to be really nice to you, but I've got like 15 things I need to whack you around the head with because you're doing really badly as a church with the Lord's Supper and all these other things. Oh, by the way, in grace, he's not, he's not doing like an encouragement, criticism, encouragement sandwich, which we've all experienced in the past. No, what he's saying is this is grace. And everything that I'm going to say to you, if you live these words, will be grace to you in your life. So as we go through this book in 2023, as we dive headlong into the truth, the realities, this world that Paul is painting for us, this way of doing life in a city like London, if we can sit in these words, absorb them, abide in the words of Jesus, we will experience the grace of God. 
And that is my heart and my prayer for us, that we would grow in the grace of God, that we would experience the peace of God in our life. Amen.